Thank you, Luke. Let us pray as we come to God's Word. Father God, we thank you that these words uh, that are written down for us are for our instruction. Not that we would just find a good moral lesson, but that we would meet Jesus in these scriptures. We know we can't do that alone, and so we ask by the presence of your Holy Spirit here with us now as we meet in the name of Jesus, that you reveal him to us. And Father, we ask that in Jesus' name, you would lift us up to uh, worship Jesus as he is both Saviour and Lord, and also to give our lives to him because he gave himself first for us. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, I used to go on a family holiday in the Grampians uh, when I was young and um, they had this lake at this um, campsite we used to go to. There's lots of other different families there. And uh, there was one sunny summer morning when uh, everyone was sort of out on the lake, um, you know, out on their kayaks and canoes and that kind of thing. And I looked out in the distance and there was this um, dust devil or willy-willy as they're called, this sort of like spinning storm thing that just arose out of nowhere and it started to come towards the lake. And I thought, oh, this is going to be interesting as I was watching what was going on, those people uh, happily playing on the lake. Anyway, the, uh, the storm sort of rolled its way onto the lake uh, and then picked up someone out of their canoe and threw them out of it. It was unbelievable, like totally tipped over their boat. And I had the best time of my life just watching them at a safe distance, as you do when you're in that situation. And of course, as we come to our scripture today, we're looking at a situation where people were similarly met by a storm that totally was about to upend their boat and totally disrupt their lives. And there's obviously a much deeper meaning than my experience as a child here. There was also a large storm uh, several years ago in South Australia that managed to uh, make a statewide power blackout. Does anyone remember that? Yeah, most people remember that. I know Steve was uh, right in the middle of that, I'm sure, um, sorting out SA Waters uh, issues in the, in the midst. Uh, so during that storm, something that was exposed was not just, of course, that we ran out of power, but that our power grid wasn't set up to handle that kind of pressure. So there was the storm exposed an underlying problem. And in the same way in our lives, when the storms come along, the metaphorical ones, the, the trials, the suffering, the difficult circumstances come along, they expose what is underlying beneath them. They expose particularly where our faith stands. And this morning, as we look at our text, we are looking at a situation and a storm that did that to the faith of the disciples. Notice that Jesus, his first thing that he says to them is, Oh, you of little faith. So Jesus is putting his finger on not the disaster that's happening around them, but the faith that they lack in the midst of the storm. But also did something else. Something that we'll see in our text this morning is that Jesus showed himself to be something very particular. He showed himself to be a saviour and Lord. They asked, what sort of man is this? And we'll find out what sort of man he truly is. At the end uh, of my talk this morning, I want to bring these two concepts together uh, to teach us how we should respond to Jesus with a living faith. So firstly, let me tell you how storms expose our faith. Now, the Sea of Galilee uh, in Israel uh, is uh, actually below sea level. And it's quite a shallow sea. So the sea that these disciples are about to 
uh, we're, we're getting into and sailing on is a very shallow sea. And there's all these mountains around it, which are um, up to so three or 400 metres higher uh, than the sea itself. And so what happens is the cooler air meets with the warm air on the base uh, of the sea and creates the, often these very violent and sudden thunderstorms. We have a sea uh, similar to this, or a lake, Lake Alexandrina. And if you've ever sailed on that before, you would know that if it gets windy, it can get very dangerous very quickly because it is so shallow. And so the same way the disciples were under these kinds of conditions. These are experienced sailors, right? They know what they're doing. The people that, many of the people Jesus hung out with were fishermen. So they, that was their day job, to go out onto the Sea of Galilee and to fish. So they knew what they were up to when they went out in a boat. But this storm, even for them, was scary. This storm, even for them, was life-threatening. And they thought they were in mortal danger. Their vast experience couldn't save them from the storm. Now that's the physical storm. And of course, we face metaphorical storms all the time. One woman in particular, Lee Sales, who uh, is the presenter for the 7.30 report on the ABC, she wrote a book recently called Any Ordinary Day, and she tells the stories of people's lives who've been dramatically affected by a sudden storm, those violent storms in life that totally upend our experience. An article put her life before the storm like this. She has, as she puts it, a gigantically lucky life. A close family, a great childhood, awesome friends, happy marriage, plum job, lovely home, healthy baby boy, and barely a day of ill health in her life. But at this time, Lee Sales was eight months pregnant, and one night she had a slight chest pain, and she just felt that she needed to go to hospital to check this out. We then hear of her experience. At the hospital, still the pain wasn't very bad, about a scale of three on the scale of one to ten. But she was admitted for observation. Then suddenly the pain was a 10 and the nurse lost the baby's heartbeat and Sales was on a gurney being rushed down a passage with lights flashing above her head and someone was drawing a line on her stomach and the surgeon was standing over here, over her and the anaesthetist was saying, just hold on. And she honestly didn't care if she lived or died. She just wanted the pain to stop. That was the end of her gigantically lucky life. Lee Sales had suffered a uterine rupture a tear the size of a cricket ball in the upper left side of her uterus, a rare and often fatal complication of pregnancy. Even medical textbooks call it catastrophic thanks to, thanks to its high incidence of fetal and maternal morbidity. But by a miracle, Lee Sales and the baby survived. But soon afterwards, her marriage of 20 years broke down. And so Lee Sales was, was in the middle of her own storm being swamped by the waves, she said afterwards. People often say, well, things will only get better. Well, no, things often do and can get worse. So all these truisms about life, like if you're a good person, things, good things will happen to you and hard work pays off, that's all bulldust. And that's not the actual word she used there, but there you go. The central reality of life is that we don't know what's coming next, whether good or bad. It's actually quite, I find, a hard thing to live with. One of the difficult realities that many of us who've experienced traumatic events in our life know is that storms do come to all of us eventually. We, like the disciples, will find that we are being swamped by the waves and be convinced that we too are perishing. 
A storm in life is one of those situations that you just cannot control. Now, for the disciples, even though they were experienced, they knew what they were doing, they could not stop it. And Lee Sales, even though she was a very successful and powerful woman, was a combination of a health crisis and a marriage breakdown that even for all her success, she couldn't solve her problem. She was just there to experience it. And so storms have this way of exposing our faith. You see, Jesus was in the boat when the storm arose. And he was woken up by the disciples because they were in fear for their lives. But he gets up and rebukes them for their fear. And then, of course, he rebukes the wind and the waves. Jesus puts his finger on the problem that's going on in the text. And it's not the storm. The problem is their faith. We see at the end of the narrative, the disciples should have trusted in Jesus. But in the storm, their faith had failed them. Why is that? Why does that happen to us? When, when the chips are down, when life gets a bit crazy, our faith can fail us. And we have this same problem. Like the disciples, we think we can handle the storms of life. Like the disciples who would have seen the storm rising up, they would have seen it at a distance and thought, we can handle this. Let's let our experience kick in. You know, whether it's health issues for us or relationship breakdowns, financial problems. We try and solve the problem ourselves right away. And then when everything else fails, we turn to God. Right before we're perishing, you know, we have that big prayer, save us, Lord. Save us. You know, they say in the trenches, there's no atheists because everyone's, you know, close to death. And it's true. When the chips are down, when things are really bad, people tend to turn to God. But it does expose this problem, and I think it's a religious problem, is that we first turn, our first port of call is to what? Our self-reliance, our own self-effort, and our self-control to solve our storms. And when that fails us, then we turn to Jesus. What this does show us, of course, is that our faith is really in our self-reliance, our self-control and our self-effort first. Not Jesus at all. So if you're a Christian person and your first port of call is to work this out on your own, it shows you where your faith really lies. It shows you that you depend on yourself before Jesus. And that is exactly what Jesus is exposing in this situation. It shows us that God is only really necessary when we can't handle things ourselves. He's kind of this person that we just go, oh, look, here's the insurance policy. Just in case everything else doesn't work out, I've still got God in my life. And that is the reason why Jesus rebukes the disciples. Because they're not acting like disciples at all, but self-reliant religious people with Jesus as their backup plan. And so Jesus is using this moment as a teaching example for his religious followers that their faith is, should be in Him and not just in their own self-reliance. And not just when there is a storm, but in all of life. But almost always, and you would know this perhaps from your own experience, almost always takes a storm to teach us that. Now, even if we're not a religious person, you may not be a religious person here this morning or listening to this, 
Even if you're not a religious person when you experience a storm, you will still find that the things you trust in fail you. If you put your hopes in a career and then you lose your job during a pandemic and you're totally shipwrecked, which many of us have been, when the storm subsides, you will scramble your way to come up with a plan and to turn things back around for yourself. You know, you might put your hope in a new job to then sort out your life and, your, and to create your sense of family. You might seek more wealth in a different way as you've lost your superannuation during the COVID-19 crisis. And sometimes you'll even turn to spirituality when your first thing, like your career, did not work out for you. But of course, if we put our hopes in our family and we experience a major relationship breakdown, then our faith in that thing fails too. And we, can tr- and we can try and control the people in our family or the people in our relationships by becoming overbearing or lashing out wildly as the storm takes hold in our lives, but it normally does not work out very well for us. You see, these storms, these circumstances which are outside of our control tell us that the things that we trusted in, the things that we put our faith in, have failed us. But of course, being self-reliant people, we try and carry on. We don't see what the storm is really telling us. We ignore the spiritual reality that the storm reveals. We don't need a better career. We don't need a better health plan. We don't need a better husband or wife. We don't need a better spiritual guru. Because all these things will eventually sink us and fail us when we put our faith in them. You see, what the storm is really there to show us, the storm in your life, whether you may be experiencing one right now, it's... It's, it's there really to show you, if you'll listen, is that what we need is a true saviour and Lord, someone who won't fail us in the midst of a storm. Someone who can overrule the storms of life and bring us out of them. And that's what Jesus does. And that brings us to a second point, that storms reveal Jesus' true nature to us. So Jesus is awoken by the disciples and he brings his power to bear upon the situation. Right, it's, it's an incredible miracle when you read this text. He just stood up and the waves bowed down. An incredible situation. He calmed the wind and the waves with a word. Just imagine. You know, they realize that their creator is before them. And this led to verse 27, which reads, And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who is this Jesus? Who is he? Well, the first answer from the text is that Jesus is a saviour. We see this clearly because as the disciples are frantically calling out for Jesus to help them, because the boat is sinking, Jesus is sleeping. He's asleep. You cannot get more content with that. In fact, Jesus was waiting in his state of rest while everyone else was panicking. Now, that's very important for us to notice because he allowed them to exhaust their self-reliance before responding to their call. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that in your life? That God allows you to get to the end of yourself before he acts. Why does Jesus do that? Why does Jesus do that? Well, I think this tells us actually two things. First, 
if we want to be saved, both from our situation, but moreover, in general, we must call upon Jesus as Saviour. Not just someone that we tack onto our life as an insurance policy to make things better for us. So let me tell you about a man called Rupert to explain. Rupert thought he was a Christian. He spent most of his life at church. His parents went to church and even his grandparents went to church. He went to a religious school and had never really done anything bad. When Rupert was at youth group as a teenager, he went to a camp where the speaker told him that Jesus loved him and if he wanted to know God's love and live his best life, he just needed to make a decision for Jesus. So, of course, Rupert put up his hand. Rupert finished high school, went to university and studied engineering. Now, for the first time in his life, he was not in a religious environment anymore. His student friends weren't religious and his new friend Sally was actually an atheist. Rupert remembered that Christians weren't supposed to date non-Christians. He was taught that sometime at youth group. But seeing as God loved him, he figured that God wanted him to be happy. So Rupert and Sally started dating. Gradually, Rupert stopped going to church, mainly because Sally didn't want to go. Some years later, they got married and had kids, and Rupert thought it was a good idea for his kids to get some Christian morals. And so he sent them to his own religious school that he went to. But all of a sudden, that same year, Sally went to the doctor and came back with some test results. And she had stage 4 pancreatic cancer. Rupert was devastated, absolutely devastated, as you can imagine, and very angry. And he was angry with God. He thought, how could God allow this to happen to him? He felt his whole best life promise that he put his hand up for all those years ago had been a total sham. You see, Rupert was in the middle of his own storm and his faith had failed him. Now, as we look over Rupert's experience, where do you think things went wrong for Rupert's faith? You see, there was this critical moment in his life when he was at a youth camp where God was painted as someone to help him have a better life, not as the saviour of the world. And so naturally, when the storm came, Rupert rejected Christianity, for he had never met the saviour jesus christ the holy god who only saves those who call upon his name you see jesus is no mere ticket to a better life he's the savior of the world who died and rose again that we may have faith so that we may survive the storms of life so that is the first thing that tells us he's a savior who saves those who call upon him the second thing it tells us is that salvation is by grace alone the men in the boat cried out to Jesus, didn't do anything to achieve their own salvation. They just called upon him. They didn't do anything to be worthy of it. In fact, that exhausted all their self-reliance, all their experience, you know, all their um, ability as sailors. They'd given up on all of that. They'd expended it all. Why did Jesus save them then? Jesus acted alone to save them. He did it because he loved and cared about them, of course. But it is very much the same for us. This metaphor is quite powerful because it tells us that there is no self-effort, that there is no good deed, there is no moral life that can make God accept you. God must save you himself and only Jesus, the Savior, can do it by us calling out to him. Sometimes we think, 
that God saves us if we're a good person. And that if I just come to church and be a good person, then God will love and accept me. And that is not the case. Not at all. In fact, the thing is that God knows you much better than you know yourself. He knows me much better than I know myself. It's been said before that you're much worse than you think you are. Of course, we've all got a pride problem, so we always think we're better than we are. You're much worse than you think you are. God knows exactly what's going on in your mind and the thoughts underneath your thoughts and the motivations which are really selfish underneath it all. And he sees that. So you're much worse than you think you are, but you're far more loved than you would ever dare dream because even in the state that you're in, someone fully knowing you exactly as you are and all the dirty laundry all there together, he loves you. And that is an incredible situation to be in, that a God would love you and save you, not on the basis of the good things that you could do, but on the basis of his love for you. So that is the saviour in the storm. The second thing that this shows us is the Lord of the storm. You see, what sort of man is this that the people cried out because they were wondering what is going on here? It's quite an ironic statement because this is no mere man. Though he lived among them and was fully human, Jesus is clearly something else too. Who has control of the wind and the waves? God does. That's what we know. This narrative shows us that Jesus is more than just Savior. He is also Lord. Jesus is the Lord of the storm. Notice in the text in verse 24, as Jesus was lying down asleep, and then the storm arose. But then in verse 26, when Jesus arose, the storm bows down. Nature bows down to one, and that is Jesus himself. There is no mistaking it. Jesus is Lord of the storm. And he will act both in his divinity as God and in his humanity as a person, just like us, to steal a far greater storm that we will all face. You see, all the storms in our lives point to a great storm. A great storm that is bearing down on all of us. We might try to ignore it, but the Bible is emphatically clear that there is a relational problem between humanity and God. That's the big issue that's going on in the world, this big spiritual issue. It's a relational problem. We've offended, rejected, and rebelled against the holy God. He's both the Lord of the storm and the Lord of the universe. And they're just starting to notice that. In love, he made us. And in rebellion, humanity rejected his rule. And in his righteous judgment, God gives us the rebellion and the rejection that we so desired. Our death, physically and spiritually, is the result of a rebellion that we chose. And the storm of God's judgment is something that we cannot avoid. It is coming. But the Bible also tells us that though we've failed him, God would not give up on us. He sent his only son, Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity, to be the saviour for us. But in this case, Jesus wouldn't just stop the storm of our rebellion, but take the storm for us. You see, Jesus lived this perfect human life, 
the Bible is really clear about that. We're going to continue our series through the book of Matthew. We will constantly see Jesus' perfection. That you, you, you cannot contradict that. Jesus is very clearly painted as a perfect man. But what did he do in his perfection? What did he do in the fullness of who he is, both God, fully God, and fully man in one person? What did he do with that? He took it to the greatest storm that was ever poured upon one person. That is the cross itself. The cross was the symbol of death in the first century. The cross for us is the symbol of God's judgment. And Jesus wouldn't just still the storm, but take the storm fully upon himself, forsaken by the Father so that he could save us. You see, the Saviour from the storm and the Lord of the storm. Now, this is Jesus, right? The one who calms the wind and the waves. He's the one who gave himself to the great storm for us. And as Jesus died upon that cross, he extinguished its power. He made the sins of those who believe in him fall away, just like the wind and the waves bowed down before Jesus. When Jesus rose from the dead, he broke the power of human rebellion and sin so that those who call upon him for salvation, just like the people in the boat did, will be saved. The great sign that Jesus will save all who believe in him is the resurrection. That is the great sign. That is Jesus once and for all putting down the great storm of death that we will all face. And he has done that. And so they asked, who is this man? They marveled at him. They marveled at Jesus saying, who is this man? And we see here that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. And he has come to save all who would call upon him. Thirdly, and sort of to wrap this together for us, as I say, that storms call us to have a living faith in Jesus. Have you ever noticed, if you're a Christian person here, have you noticed, ever noticed that stepping out in faith to put your faith in Jesus, stepping out to put your faith in Jesus is often followed by a storm? If you think back over the circumstances of your life, when you've stepped out in faith for Jesus... Has that often been followed by a storm? It sure has for me. Last week we saw that Jesus called his disciples to let go of everything to follow him. So they stepped out in faith. Those who were in the boat were the ones who were like, I will let go of everything and follow Jesus. And what happens? A storm. Why does that happen? Why does God allow our... a storm to follow our steps of faith? Well, I think there's two reasons. Firstly, he's testing our faith. It's easy for you to say that you trust God when your life is going well. But when the storm comes, we find that we need more than a hand raised to follow Jesus, but a faith anchored in who Jesus is, Lord and Savior. I've seen too many people's faith shipwrecked because they made a decision to follow Jesus, but they were ill-prepared for the storm. They thought that God was all about their better life, but Jesus called them to take up their cross and follow him. The second reason is that God wants us, so that Jesus wants us to show us his great power and love towards us. Notice that Jesus was with the disciples in the middle of the storm, and he waited patiently until they ran out of self reliance, and that's when he showed them his great power and love. He showed them his power. 
Because, of course, he stilled the storm. And we will see in our lives that no matter the storm, if we trust in Jesus, that he will work it out for good. When you have faith in Jesus, that is your anchor. That is the thing that keeps you going. That God will work out your circumstances, whatever they are, no matter how hard they are, he will work them out for good. And God will get the glory and you will get the good. Even in the worst of your circumstances. But Jesus showed him their love because he stayed with them. Have you ever heard of a God that stays with you in the suffering? That his promise is to be with you in the worst things of your life, in the storms? Have you ever heard of a God that isn't far off and removed, but with you in the midst of it? This is Jesus, Lord and Saviour. He stays with his people even unto death. We know this because Jesus went to death for us. He took the great storm that we deserved. He took the ultimate suffering that we might have his ultimate rest and peace. So just as Jesus was sleeping in the boat in the middle of the storm, we enter into that through faith. Just as Jesus brought about peace by saying, Be still to the wind and the waves, we enter into his peace. Knowing that whatever storm may come, we are his and he will be with us. Sometimes we've been told or told to believe that, if we, that we won't have difficulties in our lives that we won't be able to overcome. You may have heard it, God will not give you anything you cannot handle. If there is a storm, it will only be as much as you can handle personally. But what happens when your child dies? What happens when your marriage fails? What happens when your friends betray you? What happens when your family lets you down? What happens when you get sick? What happens when you face, face depression and anxiety because you were told that Christians don't get those things? And all that you can feel is that you're totally overwhelmed and that the waves are literally swamping over you. You see, the Apostle Paul learnt this. He had was called a thorn in the flesh. And we don't know exactly what it was, but it was clearly something that he couldn't overcome himself. This was a storm that wouldn't leave. This was a storm that he couldn't outlast. This was a storm that broke his self-reliance. He even pleaded with God to take it away. Three times. Now, this was Paul. Now, if you've, if you've read about Paul in the New Testament, you would know that this was the guy who was beaten, imprisoned, and then was singing psalms and hymns to Jesus in the middle of the prison. This was the guy who was stoned almost to death, then picked up the next day and went on and kept on preaching. This was the guy who literally was overcome by a storm, shipwrecked, and then continued to have faith in God in the midst of it. However, even for all of these things, these incredible Feats. It was the thorn in the flesh, his own personal storm that tipped him. He pleaded with God to take it away three times. And you can imagine that each, like this is a pretty strong guy spiritually. You can imagine it would have taken him a lot to plead with God. And when, it, when God didn't answer that prayer, he pleaded again. And when God didn't answer that time, he pleaded again. 
You can imagine how much he wanted to be freed from this thorn in his flesh. And what does Jesus do? The Lord of the storm speaks to him and says these words, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul realized that the storm that he faced, the thing that he called the thorn in the flesh, was actually there to bring him back to daily faith in Jesus. You see, the way God's kingdom works is it's not the strong and the powerful that endure the storms of life. They're not the great ones in God's kingdom, but it's rather those who are overcome by life's storms. And so their lives are then put in the hands of the Savior because they've got nothing left and they can't do it themselves and they know it. They plead with him again and again and again until they realize, God, I can't do this. And he meets you right in the middle of your suffering and says, my grace is sufficient for you. For what? My power is made perfect in weakness. The storm is there to humble us before the mighty hand of God. So let me tell you, do not waste a storm. Don't waste it. Don't waste the storm. Don't ignore the storm. Because they are there to point you to Jesus as Savior and point you to Him as Lord. Living faith is when we realize that the storms are for our good. They teach us, as this storm is supposed to do, that we can trust Jesus. Can you imagine being there in that boat? What you would have learned afterwards. That He's really in control. Faith in the storm means trusting that Jesus is always in control. We never lose his control. Though he was asleep, he just needed to stand up and the waves bowed down. We can believe that it really will be okay in the end. This storm also serves as a warning. A warning that storms will upend your faith and make your life into a shipwreck if it's not anchored in Jesus. If you believed in religion, that you'll get a better life, if you just accept that God loves you, that is not calling upon Jesus. That's saying, he's my backup plan, I'm still going to rely on myself. Don't buy into it. That is hollow religion. Jesus is not an insurance salesman. He's the saviour of the world and the Lord of the universe. So let us turn to him and let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for sending your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be both saviour and Lord. We are reminded this morning that he is enough. That though the wind and the waves may come, though we be swamped, that Jesus being with us, is enough. Father, we pray that the reality and the truth of this would bear witness to our souls this morning. That whatever we've been through, whatever we're going through, whatever is to come, would come under Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So that we would be with Him and He with us forever. And we give thanks. In Jesus' name. Amen.